again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. When was the last time life wowed you? If you were a prophet of old, you'd think that would be a tall order. Filling tall orders is pretty easy for God. Lead teacher Randy Pope starts a new series, A Glorious Grace, Foundations of Grace, with the first part of a message entitled, The Experience of Grace, which covers Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father, as we begin this new series, I'm going to ask you that you would mark our, mark our lives, even over the years to come, as we would look back at this series changed who we were. Make it be such that we would understand and see and embrace grace as we never have before. I want to pray for our children that are here, thankful that they get to be exposed to truth. And I pray for them that as, as they hear about grace, that their lives would certainly be altered even from the youngest of ages. Pray, Father, that you would now open our hearts. May it enter through our minds with understanding and our hearts to obedience that, that, Lord, we may become more like you so that we might honor you better. So bless this series. Anoint it in a special way. Bless the team that gives it. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're new with us and have just come today for the first time, you would perhaps not be aware, but we've already mentioned that we kick off a new series today, and the series is called A Glorious Grace, A Glorious Grace. Let me, let me give you a bit of an overview of this series. It's really a series that has four sub-series that make it up. So we're going to actually, from now to the end of the year, have four series that are all oriented under the umbrella of grace. We're going to begin today with the first of those sub-series, which is going to be the foundations of grace. And we've got several, several uh, weeks designed uh, to just say, do we get grace? Do we really understand it? Then we're going to have another sub-series that's going to be on expressions of grace, such as forgiving grace, relational grace, and so forth. Then we're going to talk about the generosity of grace. What happens when we encounter grace? What happens to the heart? It becomes a generous heart. And then we're going to conclude the series in kind of a, a real solid way because it's going to be on the doctrines of grace, but we'll call it the sovereignty of grace. Understanding some of the deeper issues about grace, but God being sovereign and look at all the issues of life, and we'll, uh, we'll dig through a lot of very important doctrines that can really impact the heart in a big way. Today, we're going to kick off with foundations. We're going to begin with uh, the experience of grace today, the experience of grace. And to do that, let me just introduce it with the thought that I've been asked so many times, the question I've been asked over the years so many, many times, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you really know? I'm asked sometimes, can you really know? Does anybody know for sure? And of course, we say, well, yeah, not with perfect 
assurance because no one's perfect in any form or fashion, but an absolutely very strong, confident assurance. Well, then how? I think if you've been around this church very long, I think you've come to know that it's not because you walked an aisle or you prayed some prayer, whether sincere or insincere. It didn't have to do with the fact that you prayed a prayer and so forth. So then, well, what's the, what's the answer? How do you know? And the answer is, it's because you've experienced grace. You've experienced grace. So let's take those two words. Let's begin with grace. What is grace? A child came up to me one time and said, uh, what is grace? And to help kind of put it in a, a child's perspective, I said, have you ever made a a really, really bad grade? Yeah. Did you not study well as a cause for that bad grade? Yeah. Did your teacher ever give you a really, really good grade even though you didn't study and made a bad score on your test? No. I said, then you've never had a teacher that showed you grace. Not that they should show you grace because it's not required. It's something over and beyond your expectation. It's actually being given something that you do not deserve. When we talk about God's grace, we've got to understand this. God's grace is simply God giving to us what we really don't deserve. You know what that really is? At the heart of it all, it's his own righteousness. We don't deserve that. And then flowing from that and beyond that even, incredible things that God does that we don't deserve, but we get anyway. It's called grace. Now, what about experience? When we talk about the experience of grace, what is experience of grace? Well, imagine someone who says they are in love. The question is, well, how do you know you're in love? I can remember when I used to do marriage counseling years ago, and, and I had this young, very, very too young couple getting married. And, and they were just glossy-eyed at each other, and I was suspicious that they were prepared to be married. And so I asked the, the young man, I said, uh, can I ask you a question? Do you love this girl? And he looked at me and he said, oh, absolutely, with all of my heart. And I said, well, can I ask you this question? How do you know you love her? And, and this is what he did. He goes, well, you know, it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of, and I said, is your chest okay? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm just saying it's kind of, I, I, I don't know, you just, it, it's kind of no, you kind of know. Well, what this person is saying is it's an experience that I've had. But you know, the experience may be valid or it may not be valid. So you've got to dig a little bit deeper than that. And I had to say, now look, look, let's go beyond just, <clears throat> I, I think I've had an experience. How do you know you've experienced love? And if you don't have the answer to that question, you may not be yet ready and prepared to get married. And then we could get into it and we discussed what real love was and so forth. Well, the question now is, well, we're talking about experiencing God's grace resulting in salvation and then beyond the experience of God's grace that continues. How do you know you're experiencing God's grace? 
And I think a great way for us to understand that is to look through the experience of the great prophet Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is a text that I have uh, taught before. In fact, in 2004, I used this. I used the, uh, the same outline, but I'm going to do something different this time. Last time, it was one week. I devoted one message to it, but I want us to plow much deeper this time. We're going two weeks in it this week, this week and next week. If you look at Isaiah and his experience of grace, he describes his experience. And in doing so, we get some keen insight into how one experiences grace. What is the experience of grace? So I'm going to give us four words that we're going to use to help us understand that. I hope that from 2004, maybe 12, 15, up to 20 people might remember these words. I don't know. I didn't remember them. So if you don't, that's all right too. Here are the four words that we're going to use. I'm going to put them up, try to note them. The first is the word wow. Number two is the word sorry. Number three is the word yay. And now just if maybe it could make me feel good. Does anybody remember the last word? Okay, you got it. Wow, sorry, yay, okay. Instead of spending a, a week on all four, I'm going to spend a week, this week, on just the first, the word wow. Now, I'd like for us to read God's word, the first four verses of the eight that we'll be using these two weeks. This is how the first, first four verses read. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood around him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now, I hope you will enjoy and profit by the exposition of the text at this point. Just a few minutes. Let's dig into the text. Let's see what the text is actually saying. It begins with those words, in the year of King Uzziah's death. That's very important to understand this text. Uh, you see, it was, a, it was a divided kingdom now. We have what's called as Israel and the southern kingdom as Judah. So uh, that's because of disobedience and issues related through the years. But even though that had happened, uh, for Judah particularly, as we're talking here, there had, there had been, a, you know, years of, of somewhat prosperity. Uh, it, it really had been good times. But now was beginning to show decline. And so there was some concern among the peoples of the land. We can say that about our own country, can we not? We're a people, not the people of God as Israel, but we're a people, America, blessed as a nation. And here we've been given so much, and, and now we say, look at the decline. At least from most of our values, we would say there's been a, a huge decline, and particularly in recent years. 
And as a result, there's, there's concern, and rightfully so. Now, king Uzziah had been a very beloved and, and even a somewhat righteous king. He had brought back military power to Judah in a significant way that the people just appreciated him so much for what he had done. But now in his latter years, something was changing, and he began to violate the temple, and he let just anybody go into the temple, and that was forbidden. That was for the prophets and, and for the priests and so forth. But now it seemed like anybody and everybody just head on in. And, and, and God was greatly against that happening. As a result, the king Uzziah got leprosy on his forehead, and, and literally in the very last years of his life, he really lived in obscurity. And now the great king, who was lesser than what he had been but still revered by so many, he had now died. And so there really is a crisis in the land. So Isaiah enters into the temple, and you just understand that he is, he is searching, and particularly as the rest of the text will make it clear, he obviously was searching for consolation. He was, he was so concerned that, that well, well, things are not good here and, and things are, are unraveling and so forth and, and I need help. And so we see the very first of the four words, it was the word, wow. And I want us to, I want us to see how he saw God when he walked into the temple. He saw God as he really is. Verse one again reads like this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, keep that in mind, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. Very important to know that as he says, the Lord, he sees the Lord. You know, the word that would be expected in the Hebrew is not used. The great word of all words, I mean, so revered that, that they, they, they even shortened the word where it was inappropriate to say it in a certain form, and it would be Yahweh, Yahweh. But no, the word Adonai is used. You know what the word Adonai means? It's sovereign one. He says, I see on the throne high and exalted the sovereign one. And this time of crisis, God reveals himself as a sovereign God. Let me ask this about your own world. In the world in which you're experiencing right now, your personal life, anybody feel like that maybe it's kind of unraveling? That it's somewhat out of control? The relationships you can't control anymore because you've done all you can do, but look what's happening on the other side of that relationship. And if you say, I'm working as hard as I can work, I'm doing everything, I'm praying, I'm, I'm being diligent, but, but my income is not enough and I cannot find a way to meet my needs, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen, everything is uncertain. Any of you just gotten the report from the doctor that it just doesn't look normal? We've got, to, we've got to explore and do some tests and find out. And, and now you're saying, I, I try to keep a healthy body. I've done. I don't know what to do beyond. I'm, I, it's out of my control now. Folks, that is life for everybody. At some point, at some time, it gets overwhelming. It's out of control. 
And you can just see that Isaiah has gone into the temple and saying, it's, it's, what's going to happen now? Who, who's going to be the, what, how? And he sees the sovereign one, high and exalted. He is on the throne. Do you know, according to the apostle John, in John chapter 12, do you know that it says that Isaiah saw him, and you know who him was? Jesus. So keep in mind, as he's seeing this, oh, I know he's the triune God, but, but apparently he's getting, he's getting a picture here of the exalted one in time known as Jesus. He's referred to at this point as the high and exalted one on his throne. I have a close friend. I would put him as one of the closest friends that I have in life for years. I led him into the Lord who led him to the Lord. And we became close, close friends and have been so for years and years and years. His name is Ronnie, and Ronnie has a, uh, has a brain tumor. It's one of the serious ones. They're all serious, but this is the one that takes everybody's life eventually, a glioblastoma. We've had numerous loved ones of this church who have lost their life through this kind of tumor, including one of our staff, the first staff after me here, Wade Williams. And he's been battling this tumor, and they just found out he has a second tumor, and some of the things of the second tumor were causing some some uh, issues that made him think that not sure how long he'll be able to communicate this, that, and the other. And his wife texted me and said, we were able to talk well enough last night to work through the funeral service and this, that, and the other, and we'd like for you to do such and such and so on and so on. And so I didn't know by the, by the text, could he take a, a text? Would he be able to get it? Would he be able to read it? Would he understand it? So I, I texted his wife, and I said, would you get this text to him, please? If you have to read it, that's okay. If you have to read it to him. But it was my opportunity just to, in a sense, say goodbye, if, in case it was the last, but to just tell him how much I loved him and appreciated him. In the midst of a very, very long text, I found myself reflecting on my devotion that morning. And that morning, I had, I had been in the Psalms. I was in Psalm 45. And when I, I read about the throne and the scepter, it grabbed my heart not in light of thinking about Ronnie at that moment, but just about the throne and the scepter. And so as I was just speaking into a, you know, a, my text, I, uh, I wrote these words, and I, I had no idea I'd be using them today, but yesterday I pulled it out, and I thought, this may just kind of apply it well. I wrote, I with you, Take great hope in the psalmist's words in Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. I went on to say, this reminds me that God is king and sovereign over all and does all things well. I remind myself that if I could see behind the curtains of heavens and see that throne and scepter, I would applaud like crazy seeing what a perfect and wonderful plan it really is, though I hate the plan outside of that reality. It's okay to hate the plan that we don't understand as long as it's superseded with the understanding that, hey, 
Our God, he's on his throne. Our God, he has his scepter. That scepter's not been knocked out of his hand. That, that crown has not been taken off his head. That throne has not been pulled out from under him. He is in charge. That's what gives us peace. One of our longtime friends in this church for years and years and years just found out that they have a, a very bad cancer. And I'm talking to them as I call just to talk and pray with them as a friend. I, and this is, this is what the husband said. said, you know what? We're really doing good. We're all right. We really are. You know what? We've been fed well through Perimeter Church for so long. The truth really does. It holds you up. You know what they're saying? We still see God. We see him on his throne. He's still got his scepter. Yeah, the, the, the medical condition is not good. The finance is not good. The relationship is not good. Whatever it is, I understand. I don't like it. It's not good. But you know what? It's okay because he's on the throne. And that's what God was saying to Isaiah. Yeah, this country looks like it's going to unravel. It looks like there's no real human hope for it. It looks like things are going to get worse. It looks like it looks like, but... God is on his throne. He's holding the scepter. With that, we're okay. We don't have to like that. We can wish it were other. We can fight to work to make it other. Very appropriate. As long as we hold on, he is on the throne. The train of his robe filling the temple, that's the least significant of all. It's just his robe, but it's not just his robe. It's the train. It fills the temple, which is to say there's room for no other. This is God alone. He claims his throne. We come to verse 2. It reads like this. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Seraphim, they're, they're, they're angels and, and kids. Kids, kids, kids. When you hear of angels, don't think of some myth like some of the cartoons and the people and the characters you hear about that you know are not real, but you love to think of them as real. Don't think, of, don't think that way about angels. They are real. They surround us. They protect us. They do their job. In this case, it's the seraphim. They're flame-like beings. We know from Scripture they reflect God's holiness. They're instruments of God's wrath when needed to be executed against his enemies. And we understand that about the seraphim. And because God is holy, and they're not holy, though they're unique creatures, they're not holy as God is. Therefore, uh, they, they have their eyes, and, and their eyes have to be covered. They can't even look upon the holiness of God. Their feet have to be covered because they can't stand in the presence of holiness. With the wings which have given to them, they fly to execute the plan that God has given to them. And then we come to verse 3, and verse 3 says this, And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the anthem, very similar that we find in Revelation chapter 4. Very, very similar. It's this idea of holy, holy, holy three times. Do you know in, in Hebrew literature, there's a, a literary device that they use, much like we would use italicis or we would use bold print. It was to make something extremely clear. This is important. If you said it two times, like truly, truly, I say to you, it means this is of critical importance. But when in the rare occasion that you triple it, that's to say this is superlative importance. There is, there's nothing more important. Know this. And so we hear holy, holy, and once again holy. 
the whole earth full of your glory. The Lord of hosts, as he's called in the text. That is the Lord of the entire host of all created things. The earth being full of his glory, the manifestation of his glory to all the saints. All of this just simply underscoring his praiseworthiness and certainly underscoring his trustworthiness. And we come finally to verse 4. And verse 4 says, And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Just the voice caused this whole temple foundation, it just begins to tremble. And even with that, the temple was beginning to fill with smoke. Well, smoke is used to understand power or even wrath. So there's the exposition of the text. That's the story. That's what's happening. So let's drive it into the home of our hearts. How do you see God? Do you, do you see God like Isaiah saw God? Well, we haven't had the vision. Oh, yes, we have now. We do understand. We didn't experience it in person, but we know what is of God. Or do you perhaps tend to lean a little bit more this, toward the side of the, the person who, as they speak of this same God? Ah, you know, the man upstairs, the man upstairs. Ever since I understood about God, when I hear that, something just happens in me. I don't say anything to him, but I, I just go, oh, no, no. That's not it. It's kind of like there, Jesus becomes a, a personal butler to make sure my, our needs are being met. I fall into the same trap. How do you see God? Do you, do you see God as if it's kind of like a, a cat? You know, who would be a house pet that's very adorable and sometimes elusive and sometimes hard to explain. And, you know, I don't really get it, but still at the same time, it's cuddly and it's fun, it's good. It's... Or do you see him as Isaiah saw him as the Lion of Judah? Totally different. C.S. Lewis, many of you have read this before or watched the movie or whatever in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Jesus is depicted, you know, as a lion, Aslan. And there, Lucy asked Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about this Aslan. And this is the famous quote. You've probably most heard it. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will desire and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either, either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's the beauty of the reality. See, Lewis is trying to help his reader not fall into the trap to think that we can make our Jesus into who we want him to be. We just can't do that. You see, following Jesus is a journey of faith. And folks, we need to understand this. It is a journey of faith that is a dangerous journey. 
It's filled with all kinds of of problems that that are going to make it a little bit scary. It's going to be risky. It's going to be unpredictable. It's going to call us away from security, at least from a human perspective, on many occasions. It's going to be full of risk. It's going to be full of dislikes. But I'd like to ask you this question. All right, turn away from Jesus and live your life, and you tell me whose journey of life without faith is going to be pleasant, without hardships, without pain, without struggle, without difficulty. Absolutely. Here's the difference. As we follow this particular journey, it's incredibly blessed with things like glory and splendor, with satisfaction of the heart, with things that we cannot describe. And the interesting thing, to the degree that we walk out on that journey of faith, the further we get out with more risk, with more concerns, with more questions, but say, God, in obedience, I'm following you. Let me tell you what happens. The abundance of the blessing becomes greater and greater and greater because it's glory added to glory added to glory. That's the teaching of God's Word. What fools we are Christians to live like people of the world. What causes us to do that? I'm going to suggest it's because we don't see God for who he really is. That's where it really begins. Laura, Laura Elvington, story Elvington. We were talking this last week on a, at a retreat. What did I say? Laurie, huh? Come on out here. You just interrupted me at the very pinnacle of a point that I was just so, come here, come here. Well, I was telling him about the discussion that we had at the retreat. And we were talking about, we were talking about how we're considering keeping our own staff and all this stuff. No, no. And we were actually, no, we're not. I didn't know you were going to do it in front of all these people. No, I didn't either. That's because you stepped out. But anyway, uh, but we were talking about, remember we were, we were talking about music, and we, we, we sang for the whole retreat, we sang nothing but hymns, and it was just a really precious time. And, and we were talking about the beauty of both hymns and the modern music are both obviously very, very important. But remember we were talking about just the difference between the two? Yeah. Share what you shared with me about the difference of the music. Um, well, I, I had just read a quote. Someone was talking about Christianity, and they were saying it's uh, the believer inviting God into their story in order to discover how they might be part of His. And I was saying that so much of contemporary Christian music, and even just contemporary church, stops halfway through that statement. It's about inviting God to be part of your story, and it becomes about you, and it comes out your life rather than doing it for the purpose of finding how we might be part of a story that's so much greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think there's so much truth to that. And uh, I, I, hope, I hope some of you, if you haven't already gotten it, uh, her, her book, When God Doesn't Fix It. And, and I'm going to call it uh, her book. I'm going to say it's Martin and her book because it is their story of what God has done. And uh, it, it's worth reading if you want to get God's perspective. But thank you just for, uh, that was the whole point I was wanting to make. It really is that today we have gotten to such a point that Jesus, 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 come into my story and make my story better. But let me tell you, he's saying, no, I come into your story, yes, that I can take you into my story. And the truth of it is, we don't like the way it's written very often. And that's Okay. 
but his story is good. I tell you, he's the king. That's the point. He is the king. Randy Alcorn perhaps summarizes it best in the grace and truth paradox when he says this, until we come to grips with the truth of his uncompromising holiness, we'll never begin to grasp his grace. That's why I want to start with so much emphasis, seeing God for who he really is. Before I close the last comment of my message, I'm going to bring the music team out now. And I want us to, I want us to experience a time of wow. I want you to listen to the Word of God. The text that I'm going to be using is first from 2 Kings 19, then Daniel chapter 7, and then Revelation chapter 4. I want you to hear the Word of God, and then I want us to sing. And I'm going to speak to our kids for a minute. Maybe some of our adults probably should be speaking to both. When I was a junior high kid, I got exposed to a, a Bible-believing evangelical church. And I never had sung in my life, and I stood in that church as some of the greatest songs ever recorded in history, ever written in history, were used. And I sat there with closed lips. And I did it in part because I thought it was not a very manly, cool thing to do to sing. And a man in college, several years older than me, a fellow in college who was mentoring me, he took me to task in a beautiful way. And he said, you sing. And something was unlocked when I started singing. Some of us here are locked, probably. Don't feel it's not a cool thing. It's a godly thing to do. You use the expression of your personality, who you are. And that might be with a quiet voice. I don't know, but sing. But sing as you hear these words first. We'll follow it with Revelation 4, but it goes like this. Listen to God's Word. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kings of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze like flames, and its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. A thousand thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand times stood before him. The court was seated. At once, I was in the Spirit, says John. And there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. And the 24 elders, they laid their crowns before the throne. They say, You're worthy, O Lord. You're worthy to receive glory, honor, power. 
You created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Let's sing to this God.
benediction and the doxology uh, singers just stay right here because we're about to close this out but I want to read for you under the three next words just the text and I hope that this week you're going to kind of explore it further read it think about it come back next week and we'll dig into it but it it follows with verse 5 which I would call the description of the experience of sorry then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Jesus, uh, the Lord of hosts, who obviously is Jesus. You see, when you see him, boy, there's sorrow in the heart, because we see ourselves for who we really are. But it never ends there. There's a yea that follows. Verses 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. There's the yea. When that happens, if you really have seen God, and you've really seen yourself, and you know your forgiveness, this is the natural response. It's okay. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. You ever wonder why it's so hard for us to maybe even greet, befriend, but particularly to invite? You know why it's so hard to give our offerings to the Lord? You know why it's so hard to keep God's truth when he says something and we want to go? You know why it's so hard? Because it's not that we don't want to obey, but we go to the, we go to the inner self and say, willpower, Jesus deserves it. Got to give it to him. And we fail. The whole story of the experience is, yes, God has given us a spirit within, and he's going to empower it. But let me tell you, it is not from looking to ourself and saying, 
now. Let's go. I'll be faithful. Send me, Lord. It's never going to happen. What we do is we look at Jesus and we see the cross of Christ. We look up. Whenever you say, I need to do this, I'll look in. No. You need to do it. You need to be sent. You look up. And you that are seekers here, let me tell you, it's not going to be anything you can find within yourself to bring you to that place of salvation. You look up and you see the work of Christ. I hope you find this to be a week where you explore who God is. And now may God's great benediction, may it fall from heaven on every believing heart. So now unto him that is able to keep you from stumbling, to him who is able to present you faultless before his presence and with exceeding great joy, to the only wise God our Savior, to him in each of your lives, let there be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.